Hi there. I'm Jalita, and this is my husband, Brian. Um, we are one of those 70 units that Scott talked about a little while ago. As part of your international staff, we are those sent out by our church to minister cross-culturally. Now, we live and work in England, but as part of uh, the International Office of Frontiers, we serve God's kingdom workers around the world. And I just want to say, it seems to be a theme this morning, but I just want to say thank you for your partnership through your ongoing prayer and giving. Um, Brian finished his degree um, a little more than 25 years ago, and for 25 years, this church has been a part of what we do. And on behalf of all those 70 units, I want to say that you make what we do possible. So thank you. We're really glad to be back in Pasadena just for a couple of weekends here, uh, but it's so, so lovely to be back with our Lake family and worshiping with you this morning. It really is. Amen. Our scripture reading today is found in Mark 14, verses 32 to 42, and 1 Corinthians, verses 4, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 to 2. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Jesus and his disciples went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to them, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if, the possible, that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The second part of our reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is how people should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And remember this, one thing is required of stewards, that they be found faithful. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Uh, Jalita and, and Brian, it's so good to have you home. Um, and if you wonder, um, Brian was a college athlete. I think it was gymnastics or <laughs> pole vaulting or um, football. It was football. Uh, today we are going to be thinking about uh, the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. As I was thinking about this uh, today, I, I thought that in my many years of being a pastor, I think one of the most emotionally uh, wrenching parts of being a pastor are the many, many times I've had to deal with people who have lost loved ones, and, and the one who's still here is a believer, but you weren't sure that your loved one knew Jesus. 
Uh, I've, I've dealt with many of us here. I've, I've had that happen in my own family when I've had loved ones die that I didn't know where they were in their faith. But I'll never forget when I was a young 20-something-year-old pastor, the first time I ever had to deal with it. It was, it was a, a young woman, a brand-new Christian, just had started coming to the church, hadn't been married very long, and then unexpectedly, tragically, her husband died. She came, and through tears, this young widow said to me, uh, Pastor Greg, I don't think he believed in Jesus. So I don't think he's with God. And then she asked something like this, I don't know how heaven can ever be heaven for me if he is eternally separated from God and from me. Now, I, I want you to know, I think I can talk intellectually about the theology of why God punishes sin and about heaven and hell. I, I can do that. But I have no pat answers uh, for the personal side of such agonizing questions. Where is my loved one now? However, I, I've spoken with enough of you about this over my eight years of being here at Lake that I think most of you know how I approach this, both in my own personal life and I think as, as a pastor. And, and this, I usually think about it this way. You know, I've been walking with Jesus for over 55 years. Did you know that? And one of the things I've become more and more convinced of in my entire life is that the God that we've been worshiping all day, the God I believe in and I pray you do as well, is going to be faithful to be who he is. I don't know if that helps you at all. He's going to be faithful to be who he is. And there are two things that are essential to who God is. One, uh, God is just. Which simply means uh, everything God is and does is right. We, we won't throughout eternity, uh, eternal, uh, eternity, eternity think, oh, he's done something that was harsh or, or wrong. He always does what is right. And a part of that is his promise that he would deal with evil. Uh, to have a, a world where evil is not dealt with and, and goodness isn't rewarded would be a horrific thing to think about when you think about it. You just let evil proliferate. So uh, God is going to be just. He'll do what is right, but that in includes dealing with evil. But the second part of who God is is that he is love. And, and I've said to so many of you something I hold on to deeply, that God loves that loved one far more than you could or that I ever could. And throughout eternity, we know that whatever God has done with your loved one, it is a loving thing. Uh, our problem is we don't know how to put those two things together. How, how is God both just dealing with evil and, and loving to those who engage in it? I mean, that, isn't that the hard part? Um, now, we have seen one time in history when he did it. And, the, and before it happened, and I'm talking about the cross, that's why I point to the elements over here. Uh, before he, Jesus actually went to the cross, nobody could imagine how God could both be just and loving, punishing sin and loving the sinner. And yet on the cross we see it, don't we? God punishing sin by Jesus taking the punishment on himself. God loving those of us who are sinners and offering us forgiveness in spite of the fact that we have fallen short. So we don't know how God is going to be both of these things in the future, but because God is faithful to being who He is, we can still trust Him. We can trust Him because He is faithful. And I'll tell you, that is one of the beautiful things about being a follower of Jesus. Though sometimes we can't understand what God is doing or how He's going to do something, we can't figure it out. We know He can and He will. He will be faithful to who He is. Now today, with that in mind, what God promises is when His Spirit comes into us, 
One of the things he promises to do in you and in me is to make us faithful people. Now, now we love to have friends who are faithful to us, right? So maybe if you have a friend that hasn't been very faithful to you, you're hoping you're looking. I hope I hope he's here today. But I want you to think about yourself. Um, he promises, God promises, to make you a faithful person because of this thing we're thinking about, that the fruit of God's Spirit in your life is faithfulness. Now, we've got to have plenty of time to have communion together today, so, uh, which is going to flow right out of this message. But today we're going to do what we've always done. We're going to think first about what it is. We're going to define it. And in many of the uh, messages I've done on the fruit of the Spirit, I've been trying to point out that the way the Bible talks about that quality is different from the way our world does. I said that when we talked about love and about patience, about so many things. But when it comes to faithfulness, the way that you and your friends in this world talk about faithfulness is probably pretty much the same the way the Bible talks about it. It, It's a person you can count on, you know? A person that when they say, I'll be there, they're going to be there. Uh, one of the things that might make it a, a little bit more beautiful in the way the Bible thinks about it is that the Bible ties faithfulness to this beautiful Hebrew notion uh, of integrity. Uh, integrity in the Bible is that there's no duplicity. We're the same on the outside as we are on the inside. No hypocrisy. So that what you see is, is what you get. It's, it's a beautiful thing that we all long to have. That's integrity. Well, faithfulness is much like it. It's like integrity applied to relationships. That there is no break, brokenness in us from what we promise one day to what we do the next. See, it's not that our lives are ripped apart. We're the same person. So with that in mind, I've, I've tried to put this definition together for you. Faithfulness, both in our culture as well as in the Bible, is a way of life. See, faithfulness is just a way of life. You know this when you meet a faithful person. That's a person I can trust. It's a way of life in which a person keeps commitments. So, so it has to do both with being consistent in who you are, as God is, both loving and just, and in what you do, as God does. So faithfulness is integrity applied to relationships. I'm just putting it simply. You know what I'm talking about here. The faithful person is that loyal friend. It's this person who's, you just know that if, if that person says, I'll be there, that person will keep the obligations. Uh, I'm guessing you're thinking about, I'm hoping if you're awake, uh, you're thinking about some faithful people in your life. Are you? Do you know anybody who's faithful? Uh, I think of several. Uh, Back years ago, when our uh, middle child, our daughter, died so tragically, uh, we had two friends. They had just started a new business, so it was still fragile. And even though they they needed to be there, they dropped everything and flew out here to Fresno, California, and were with us at the Ronald McDonald House, just staying with us because we needed somebody to be there. And then another friend, you've met him, his name is Jamie Rankin, a professor at Princeton University. He, uh, he dropped everything, a brand new teacher at that time at SUNY Binghamton. And, and in spite of the fact that you know, he probably should have been there, he dropped everything to come to be with us. That's a faithful friend who's with you. Uh, the person, of course, I first thought of when I thought about faithfulness is my wife, Chris. Never forgetting the promise she made to me uh, 38 plus years ago. <laughs> standing there in front, yeah, standing there in front. It's really amazing that she's done this. Standing there in, 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 in front of the pastor and, and making this promise, I'll be faithful to this man 
for better or for worse, having no idea how bad that worse was going to be. And, and here we, we still are. I just feel so thankful. Faithfulness is such a, a, a powerful and beautiful thing. So that matter of what Chris did and what I did for her as well of making a promise and then keeping it is a big part of what faithfulness is like in the Bible. Because our emotions come and go, and so one day we feel one way, and the next day we don't feel like we want to do that anymore. But if we made a promise, the faithful person uh, keeps it. Uh, Lewis Meads has written about this. Maybe on this day we celebrated our relationship to Fuller. Lewis Meads was a teacher for 25 years over here at Fuller Theological Seminary. And he wrote in one of his books about this matter of keeping a promise. The book is Mere Morality. The book is so great, I wanted to read you whole sections of it. But I knew you wouldn't stay that long in church, so I knew I couldn't. Uh, He he talked about the fact that, that in our culture, all these people make excuses for not being faithful. Oh, it's in my genes, you know, I, I, just, I just can't keep going with that thing. Or, you know, my dad, it's, it's the way I was brought up, my dad wasn't very faithful, you know, uh, so that's why I'm not faithful. Or we, we live in a culture where nobody just keeps that, those promises like that, our culture. And he says, no, 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 we can be different. And the difference is made in this, that one of the things that sets us apart from animals or, or machines or something is that we can make promises and keep them. That our lives can be changed because even though we may not want to, we've made a promise and we can keep it. So that Smeed's right, I'll give you one small part of what he wrote. So I am not fated, he said. I am not determined. When I make a promise to anyone, I have the capacity to rise above all that conditioning that limits me. I don't have to say, well, I'm addicted to this, I can't do it. No, no, no. And he said, and that's something distinctive about us as human beings. He said, no German shepherd ever promised to be there with me. Uh, No home computer ever promised to be a loyal help. Only a person, a human being, can make and then keep a promise. And when he does, it sets him free from all the things we said we couldn't do. See, uh, uh, what Smoots is trying to say is uh, this matter of being able to make a promise and keep it is a part of the image of God in us. It's what God does. He makes a promise. He will keep it. He'll be faithful to who he is. Uh, so uh, a, a um, fair-weathered friend is there when it's easy, when it's convenient, when he wants to be. But the kind of biblical faithful friend that I'm talking to you about can be counted on in joy and in sorrow, in sickness and in health, uh, for better or for worse, today and tomorrow. Isn't that... Um, what the Bible declares Jesus to be, that great verse, Hebrews 13:8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So Jesus is faithful. And here, here's the point of the message today. What Jesus promises to do in you and me is, is to turn us from being unfaithful into faithful. Because the fruit of God's Spirit is faithfulness. Now, let's take a few moments and think about what it looks like. I thought we need to do this. And I went into that story that Brian and Jolita read for us in Mark chapter 14. If you have a Bible, you can turn that. We look at a contrast. And I wanted to say what faithfulness doesn't look like and what faithfulness does look like. So in that story in Mark 14, when Jesus was just about to give his life for us, we have the disciples and Jesus. Which one do you think shows us what faithfulness doesn't look like? 
Anybody want? Are you still here with me? I'm with All right, you know that Jesus is the one who shows us, but bear with me on this. I want you to envision being there that, that, that evening. Uh, it was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had already told his disciples at least three times, I'm going to die, and I'm going to do it for you. Um, now, though, the time is right there at hand. It was right at hand. And the Bible tells us in verse, 40, at verse 33 that he was deeply distressed and troubled. Have, have you ever felt like that? I, I was just so sure when I spoke that even though we come to church and always try to look our best deep down inside, I can imagine many of us here have come with a deep sorrow inside. And that's what Jesus felt. You see, he relates to us. Now, I, Jesus did, uh, fully God but also fully human, he did what I would do in a time of deep, deep sorrow, knowing he's going to have to bear the sins of the world. That's what he's going to have to do. He, he needed to draw a couple of friends to be with him. So he does. He goes to this Garden of Gethsemane and he takes his three closest associates, his three closest friends, Peter, James, and John. And what he asks them to do is not very hard. He just says, watch with me. Does that seem hard to you? Just, just, just watch with me. Stay, stay awake for a little while. I just need somebody to be here. Uh, so what, what happens? What transpires? Again, the disciples, what faithfulness doesn't look like. The three disciples agree to do it, to watch with Jesus and then eventually to pray with Jesus. But you know what happened? Three times... They were unfaithful. Three times they couldn't carry through. Uh, in verse 40, if you look at it, it's clear to me that they were very ashamed by their unfaithfulness. Uh, sometimes you and I feel that way too. You come to church, we're going to have communion again. And maybe when, when I ask you to confess your sins, you're going to confess the same thing you did the last time. And you feel ashamed about it. Will, will he receive me again? Well, they felt ashamed about it. I, we fell asleep a second time. <laughs> But what happened even though they said, we'll stay awake this time. Within a few moments, they were asleep again. They were unfaithful again. Have you ever met anybody like that? Do you have a mirror? (laughs) (laughs) What, What leads us to do this? They wanted to stay awake. They wanted to watch with him. There are so many times when we intend to do what is right and then we just can't carry through. Jesus in verse 30 8 helps me to understand a lot about this unfaithfulness for us. He knows that since sin entered the world, it's hard for us to hold our, our lives together. He said, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. I mean, Jesus knew the devastating impact that sin would have upon our lives in one piece is it's really hard for us to be faithful so that we want to be. Our intention is to be. It was for the disciples. We'll do it. We'll do it, Jesus. We can watch this. And they couldn't carry through. So I've been asking all week, why is it we can't hold these things together? Why is it that we're ripped apart from being faithful to to what we intend or what we promise? And several of you on social media have written me back some really good answers. Uh, Just trust me. I've asked each one of these people if I can quote them. So they're they're okay with it. So here's what we got. Number one, self-centeredness. What leads us to be unfaithful? Self-centeredness. Audrey Durden wrote that to me. She wrote, So we focus on ourselves and only what we want in that present moment. And then we don't carry through with what we did and said in the past. Do you think she's right? 
Oh, man, you know she's right. But one day you say, oh, I really intend to be there. And then a, that better opportunity, better option comes along. And you go this way rather than that. Uh, self-centeredness. Better offer. Uh, unrealistic expectations. Carol Koenig wrote me about that. She said, sometimes people perceive that trust is violated. So you have a friend that, that uh, you think hasn't really kept his or her word to you, you know? So, so trust is violated. And then when you feel that way, even though you may have made a commitment, Carol wrote, then you walk away from your commitment, even from God, completely. So I thought about these disciples, and that was true of them. They had their hopes and dreams set on Jesus being the one who would make their lives easy. He was going to get to Jerusalem, set up his kingdom. He was going to give them power. Again and again, he said, no, no, no. I've come for something much bigger and better than that. Trust me on this. But they held on to that. Now, by the time we get to this episode in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's pretty clear um, that he's not going to do what they wanted him to do. And they were disappointed. I mean, as you think about it there, it looks like even his own life was out of control. His own destiny. He he was full of agony even unto death, is what the Bible says to us. So I can almost imagine them saying, as I've heard so many of us say, well, he's not going to do that for me. Why should I have to do this for him? See, we can become unfaithful so easily. So self-centeredness, unrealistic expectations... Uh, David Packer said impatience. He said it gets in the way of us being faithful. So sometimes when, it, when it's been too long, we feel like I've, I've, I've been doing this too many times, we want to do something different instead of being faithful to our promise. These disciples had waited three years. And it seems like things were worse than when they started. Impatience. We, we can't wait. We can't carry through. And then the one I was really waiting for, wondered if anybody would have the honesty to write it. And so Bill Zeiger did. Temptation. And he said, many forms exist. Food, diet, relationships with the opposite sex. So we intend, and and this will come up when we have communion. We intend to do something. We know that doing otherwise is, is wrong and even sin. A temptation comes. And we give in. I think that's what Jesus was getting at when he said the flesh is weak. I want to tell you here because I know that when I say this, this must touch every one of us. Because temptations abound in the world that we are in. That we can make a commitment when we're in church and then not carry through with it. The Bible does understand that. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7 verse 15. He said, see if you can relate to him. I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And so that was the situation with these disciples when Jesus personally knew he was going to go through the most unimaginable pain that any human being has ever gone through. When he knew he was going to bear what he calls the cup, uh, which, which is the word for the wrath of God. That he was going to bear against all the evil that you and I have engaged in and that the world has. When he was going to bear that upon himself, he simply wanted his three friends to stand with him. And those, those three friends closest to him said, we'll watch with you. But they didn't carry through. 
They said yes, but when Jesus wasn't watching, they were unfaithful. This was the disciples. And this is us. Isn't it? This is us. I mean, we say this is what I'll do and then don't do it. And we use all the excuses. Too much pressure. The temptations. Tiredness. Give me an excuse. See, as I've thought about it, uh, in these difficult times, um, like Jesus was in, that friend, the faithful friend, is supposed to be like, you go down to the ocean, that rock, that big rock that is there. When the waves come and splash, the rock stays and is faithful. But when the waves of bearing all the sin of the world came upon Jesus, when you look for the disciples, they were asleep. So I'll tell you, if you want to see what unfaithfulness looks like, you can read about them here. Now, what does faithfulness look like? And that takes us, as it always does, to Jesus. He alone lives the life we're supposed to live. Uh, So here's what I want to say. If you and I and the disciples could say it's all these pressures in our world that have made me unfaithful, that make me split apart and not keep my word, then Jesus felt infinitely greater pressure than any of us ever have. Read verses 33 and following, and the description of the emotional makeup of Jesus at that time. He was going to bear the wrath of all the sin of the world. He was full of sorrow even unto death. One of the things that really I've thought about a lot this week, his Abba, which we might call our Papa, he had always, through his whole life on this world, no matter how hard it was, he had always sensed the presence of his Father in his life. But when he would bear the sins of of the world upon himself, he would cry out, Father, my God, my God, why have you also forsaken me? When he bore our sins, he bore it alone. He, He would even pray, Father, if it's possible, because everything is possible with you, take this cup from me. But your will, not mine. Because Jesus had made commitments. He'd made a commitment to his Father. Because his Father loves us. That he would bear the punishment for our sins. Thank you. (laughs) He had made a commitment to you and me. Because Jesus loves us. That he was willing to die in our place so that we could have a new life. But still, you you have to wonder when, when you read this story. When Jesus comes down for the third time and sees those three men asleep again. How would you feel about that? I'd tell you how I think I'd feel. I'd think, die for this bunch? Goodness sakes, I mean, die for these weaklings? What's the good of that? Um... Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher of the 18th century, uh, president of Princeton University, uh, did a powerful sermon about this. Sometimes I wish I could preach like this. I've I've put a bit of it for, for you here. It's called Christ's Agony. It comes from the perspective of Jesus. What if Jesus, seeing those disciples, he said, had said this, Why should I, who have been living from eternity in the enjoyment of the Father's love, Go to cast myself into such a furnace for them that can never repay me for it. 
Why should I yield myself to be thus crushed by the weight of divine wrath for them who have no love to me and are my enemies? Why should I bear the eternal weight of punishment for those who cannot wait one hour with me? But brothers and sisters, Jesus did not ask anything like that. He remained faithful to his Father and to us. And why? And here I want you to take this home because Jesus will always be who he is. And Jesus is faithful. He is faithful to these disciples when they were unfaithful. Do you see that? He is faithful to you and me when we are unfaithful to him. That's why there is hope for us. Faithfulness is at the center of who God is and who Jesus the Son is as well. So in this moment when the disciples were unfaithful, Jesus kept his commitment and headed toward the cross. Have you ever read 2 Timothy 2.13? Oh man, just look at this. If we are disloyal, Jesus, he will stay faithful because he cannot be anything other than he is. Hallelujah. And so, the point of the message, you and I are made in God's image. And even though our, everything tugs us, as we are now, toward being unfaithful, this promise, this is what I want you to grab hold of. The promise is, when you bring Jesus into your life, uh, he casts your sin as far as east is from the west. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And he gives his spirit to you, who begins to do a work. That's what this series is about. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. And He promises to make us faithful people. What a beautiful church we're going to continue to be. I think you're a pretty beautiful church right now. But you see, as this happens, this is what should happen among us. People that we can count on, one another. So, I need to end so we can get to communion. Uh, How this begins, how is this going to develop in our lives? Um, I want to continue to be faithful. My longing as your pastor is that you'll see this growing in me. And I'll just tell you my prayer is that I might see it growing in you as well. My deepest longing is that you and I will just grow to be faithful people. But it doesn't come naturally to us, does it? What comes naturally to us is to be self-centered people who give in to temptation. Uh, The Apostle Paul in two other verses just nails this. Romans 7, verses 18 and 19. He said, so I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Can you relate to that? I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, that I keep on doing. So where is our hope? I'm going to go home and work harder at being faithful this week. I tell you, we're not going to do it, are we? This is one of the things that sets us being Christians apart from any other religion. In other religions, we, we try to work harder to somehow please the gods. Uh, but in the Christian faith, we, that's not it. It's, it's not my work that somehow pleases him, that God responds to, to what I do. No, I respond to what he does. Um, the Christian faith is always a matter of us responding to the grace and the love of God that we don't deserve. So that Jesus, looking at these unfaithful disciples, came to a point point. he said, enough, because the time has come. And then a profound word I want to leave you with, a 
profound word. It's found in chapter 14, verse 41. Jesus says to them simply, look. Uh, my betrayer comes. Look. Uh, the word means to set your eyes, to set your thinking upon where all this is going to lead. You have been unfaithful, but in spite of that, I love you. Look. I am going now to bear your sin upon that cross. Look. And as you look at what I have done for you in response, in view, as Paul would put it in Romans chapter 12, in view of my love and mercy for you, respond by offering yourself afresh to me. The, the thing that motivates us to open up our lives to the work of the Spirit is that deep gratitude for the love of God toward us. I mean, we know a little bit of it in our just human lives. When we fall in love with somebody, we just want to please them, don't we? Uh, when we really love God and, and take time to look at the cross and remember his love for us, what can it do other than motivate us out of love to say, I don't know why you did this for me, but here I am. I bring my sin to you again. Will you take it? And he says, I will be who I am. I am faithful. And I will forgive your sins and cleanse you and start again with you. So it takes, I've written this for you, it takes the Spirit of God living within us to transform self-directed, pleasure-obsessed individuals like us into people who will be faithful to others as God is faithful to us. We cannot produce the fruit of faithfulness on our own. But what we cannot do God's Spirit can and will. Because the fruit of God's Spirit in your life is faithfulness. It's our hope.